Hello out there, and thank you for joining me for One More Think, a podcast about mental health, self-care, and the philosophy of wellness. This is episode one in which I introduce myself, this podcast, and what I'm trying to do uh, here with it, and where I share a little bit, some of my thoughts um, about burnout and self-care. My name is Dan Roberts, and I want to start out this inaugural podcast episode by introducing myself, explaining what I'm hoping to accomplish with this podcast, and what impact I'm hoping to make, and why I thought making a podcast would be a good idea in the first place. I am a practicing psychotherapist, a board-certified licensed clinical social worker to be exact, but that is quite a mouthful. And even when I make the effort of pronouncing all 13 of those syllables, I still find that few people outside of my field even understand what I'm talking about. So when people ask me what I do for a living, I usually just say I'm a therapist and hope that they at least have a vague understanding of what that means. The problem is, my profession is still mysterious to many people. There are lots of myths and misunderstandings about therapy that I would like to correct. Some of them are hilarious, Some of them are harmful, but all of them serve to confuse the general public about the realities of therapy. As a therapist in active practice, I feel almost like I have a calling or a need to correct some of that. I do have a master's degree in clinical social work, and I'm currently in my 15th year of professional practice. I've worked in many different settings within the mental health profession, adolescent and adult inpatient facilities, outpatient private pay, boutique-style clinics, church-owned counseling centers, military mental health clinics, and most recently, working with military veterans. I've also held positions at nearly all levels of leadership. My last military assignment was as the chief of behavioral health, leading a multidisciplinary team of more than 40 clinicians and support staff. That was a fun challenge, but I prefer to be in the trenches, doing the real work of helping people in real need solve their very real problems. That's all just to say, I've been around for a bit. And in those different positions over the years, I've learned some very good lessons and gained some very solid experience. I would like to share those lessons and that experience with the world, especially with young therapists or those considering becoming therapists. The misconceptions about the field are not exclusive to those outside of it. And I had to learn the hard way that even when I was officially licensed, I still had a lot to learn about what it means to be a mental health professional. I'm also an army veteran with 10 years of service. I got out of the military just last year and I'm currently doing a lot of my work with veterans. I was a psychotherapist in the army too, a behavioral health officer. In this role, I deployed to Afghanistan with the 101st Airborne Division and again, very briefly, to Kuwait with a special mental health unit called a Combat Operational Stress Control Team. Being a therapist in a war zone was both deeply challenging and deeply rewarding. And I probably learned more about what is really needed for good therapy in my months at war than I did in all my years of peacetime practice and training. War tends to have that effect on you. You learn quick or you don't make it. Anyway, that's a little about who I am as a professional. I don't want to bore you with my resume or CV. I can't imagine that's why you would be listening to this podcast in the first place. 
I imagine that you are listening to hear the big so what, the why. And here it is. I want to do this podcast to clear up some of the misconceptions about therapy, as I already mentioned, but I also want to create a source of real, practical, and applicable guidance and advice that people can turn to when they have questions. Questions about therapy itself, about being a therapist, questions about the science and philosophy behind the various interventions, questions about how this stuff really works, if it really works, and if so, how to make it work. I've written various articles and opinions over the years trying to help people better understand and gain mastery over their own thinking, their own mental machinery. That is my life's work and my passion. With understanding comes control. With control can come change. With change can come healing. I want this podcast to be a repository of some of those ideas, hopefully with the capacity of reaching more people than just my occasional social media posts and opinion articles. To be completely transparent, which I'm a big fan of, I'm also doing this podcast because I have been asked multiple times by multiple people to make one. My own false modesty would tell me that it is arrogant to suppose that anyone out there needs to hear what I have to say about anything. But I recognize that false modesty. And he's a moron. He thinks he's virtuous, but he's actually a coward, hiding his cowardice behind a cloak of well-seeming excuses that tend to use the vocabulary of virtue and modesty. Most of the time, he's harmless. But there are occasions, like right now, when my false modesty only serves to stop me from daring to do something new that might help other people. So part of the reason I'm doing this podcast is also for myself, to prove to myself that I can, and to see how many more people I can help when I jump over my own shadow and dare to try something new and just a little bit audacious. To give you all a sense of the kinds of things I will be talking about in this podcast, one of the most frequently requested topics I've been asked to talk about is self-care and burnout. This comes up over and over again in just about all settings and seems to be a big problem for nearly everyone. It's certainly something that a large majority of my patients struggle with, but it's also something that a large majority of my own co-workers and friends struggle with. So why is self-care so hard? Why is it so difficult for us to find that ideal balance between work and family and friends and self? Why do so many of us feel so stressed out all the time? I wish I had the absolute truth, the God-level answer, but to be honest, if I did, I wouldn't be giving this podcast away for free. All I can say for sure are my own thoughts and observations. I have seen a few unique individuals that do not seem to struggle with self-care, and what I see them do is this. They still know how to play. They play a lot. And not just games of convenience like on their cell phones or inside their homes. They get out into the world and really invest time and energy and effort into their play. They have these hobbies that they really deeply enjoy and invest into those hobbies, both time and money. One guy I know is what the army would call high speed. He's self-employed, a consultant type. He would probably be a total type A stress case but he spends a considerable amount of time on his bicycle, like hours, every weekend. He posts his ride distances and times on his social media. He wears those Tour de France style 
biker outfits. He's serious about it. And I know he gets a lot of balance and self-care effect from having this alternative side to himself that doesn't involve making people happy, attending meetings, earning money, or making plans. Another self-care master I know was a senior leader in the Army Medical Corps. In a field notorious for its bitter, burnt-out middle managers with veil-thin work-life separation and a tendency for wholesale sacrifice of personal space and time, this guy was a genius at protecting himself and his family from what we in the Army call mission creep. More on that in a second. But his secret power was that despite being like six foot five inches tall, he had remarkable ability to disappear from the office. When the workday was done, he was gone. He never left early that I saw, but he also never stayed late, unless it was specifically planned, and he was very diligent about taking that time back when it did happen. In a culture where staying at work late and burning the midnight oil is both openly and covertly held up as a virtue, this senior leader had seen through the illusion and realized there was no actual benefit at all to putting in those extra hours in the office, so he took that time back for himself. Now, I have to admit that it was annoying to me at first because I was still drinking the overwork Kool-Aid, but I gradually came to see the wisdom of his ways and started trying to emulate him, but it was hard. People would find me after work on my way to the car and give me extra tasks at the end of the day. I had a hard time saying no, feeling like I had to impress them with my diligence and hard work. But then here was this other officer, senior to me and highly respected, who simply refused to dance to that tune. It was amazing and somewhat baffling, so I started to kind of low-key study him to see how he did it. I found out, after a year of working with him, that he used the back entrance to the building when he left so that he was sure not to meet anyone who might try to give him extra work. He kept his comings and goings low-key so not many people knew where he would be expected to be. He scheduled everything. If you wanted to meet with him, you had to pick a day and a time from a list of three options he gave you. And when the time for that meeting was up, your meeting was over. Now, he wasn't stingy with his time. He frequently had great chats with me and was something of a mentor. But if he wasn't available, he didn't beat around the bush about it. He frequently ended conversations with me saying, this has been a good talk, but I have emails to write, so we need to wrap up. Not rude, just direct and honest and excellent self-care. He wasn't going to let a long but unnecessary chat back him up in his work duties. He was excellent at saying no. And in a general sense, I think that is the key to good self-care. Knowing how to say yes to the things that uplift you, that fill you up, that bring you joy. And simultaneously, knowing how to say no to the things that drag you down, overstress you, and make you feel used up. Of course, only doing what makes you happy and never what makes you stressed is not realistic, nor do I think it's even really healthy. I think we thrive best in challenging environments and circumstances when we do hard things that we can feel proud of doing. But when we do not say yes to the good things, we clearly run the risk of running ourselves ragged, 
making even things we used to enjoy and see as a fun challenge into drudgery and a burden and soul-crushing stress. And when we do not say no to the bad or unnecessary things, we're opening the door for all kinds of mission creep. So if that's a new concept to you, it's a military phrase that means exactly what it sounds like. Once a mission has been defined, it is common for circumstances or convenience to gradually cause that mission to creep beyond those bounds and to start to take in other tasks that are beyond the original scope of the mission. A good example of this might be how when computers were initially introduced into workspaces, they were specialized machines used by specialists for special tasks. Only those specialists would have ever been asked to install something or fix something or troubleshoot something on a computer. It would not have been the office manager's job to install new software. But now, it is everyone's job to install software, to have a basic functional knowledge of how computers work, how to use and update programs, etc. Every office job in the world has experienced a vast amount of mission creep, and they more or less all now include a level of technical expertise that 40 years ago would have only been expected of actual IT professionals. Now, I'm not suggesting that we should all turn our computers in and go back to handwritten notes. I'm also not suggesting that we should all be paid more because of the standard computer skills we bring to the table, although that would certainly be nice. But I am saying that this sort of mission creep takes its toll on people in tons of ways. And if we're not willing to put a limit to it, it can easily swallow up valuable parts of our lives that we were not actually willing to sacrifice. Nothing in the world creates mission creep as completely or quickly as raising children. Maybe this is because the mission of raising kids is not clearly defined, and at the same time, there are thousands of people trying to tell us what we're supposed to do in order to be good parents. So, since we lack any real authoritative guidance, we do the best we know how to do with the information we have. We know we aren't perfect, and for some people, that imperfection is an open door to massive mission creep. And so they keep trying to do more and more and more and more. More of everything that anyone says is good, none of anything that anyone says is bad, and 100% all the time, neurotically worrying that they're making some horrendous parenting mistake that will land their children in prison or community college. Because these kinds of parents never say no to the demands of parenting, they are instantly vulnerable to being overwhelmed by parenting mission creep. So yeah, there is a virtue to saying no to your children. Not just that, but to saying no to parenting. Yeah, that's right. That's what I said. You can take breaks. Give yourself some time off. Refuse to be an awesome parent for a time. It will certainly be good for you and will probably be actually good for your kids. You don't have to be a perfect parent. You don't even have to be a good parent. You just have to be a good enough parent. Think about your own parents and all the mistakes they made raising you. My own mom was wonderful, and I love her. And she was also a hot mess who made a ton of mistakes and compromises and was still the best mom I can imagine. I hope I can someday be as good a parent as she was, mistakes and all. If you make exactly as many mistakes as your own parents made raising you, then you can logically have an expectation 
that your own children will turn out exactly as good as you turned out. Now, if that isn't a comforting thought, you may very well have some self-esteem issues, which we'll talk about in another episode. Anyway, I wandered off topic, which I will probably do in just about every episode. But to wrap it up, balance is about being able to do both. To say yes to the things that put fuel in your fire. And to say no to the things that waste that fuel with limited returns. Nobody has absolute control over their lives, but those of us who manage to remain balanced through it all are the ones who have discovered what they do have control over and who actively go about exercising that control. Anyway, that's enough for now, I think. If you're still with me this far in, then I sincerely thank you for your curiosity and willingness to support a brand new podcast. And I look forward to sharing many more such episodes with you as this podcast grows and evolves and as I learn more about being a podcaster. To be perfectly honest, I don't really have a master plan for where this podcast will go. Right now, I have a list of 60 or so topics that my friends and colleagues have been kind enough to supply me with. That'll take me through the year, and then I guess we'll have to see. I would like to have guests and interviews and all sorts of fun, but only time will tell if we get that far. For now, I'm happy to have put this first episode out into the universe, and I deeply hope that in the weeks to come, the words I have to share will bring some clarity, comfort, or meaning to those who hear them. Thanks for listening. Let's take care of each other.